Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to review the win over the Patriots and the upcoming huge matchup against the Buffalo Bills at Cincinnati. And we're also going to welcome in Bengals superfan Mark Walters. Yes, the viral sensation that you saw getting the crowd pumped up the last couple games. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. Thank you again, Vondell. The juju hit from a couple years back. The interception against Mahomes in the AFC Championship game last season. And now the forced fumble against the Patriots, a game that if we would have lost would have set us back a little bit in the race. You know, we have our eyes on the number one, number two seed. Had we lost this game, now we're looking at the wild card and kind of have to win out and, you know, not the ideal situation, but Von Bell prevented that from happening. You've been an amazing player since you came on this roster. And as I said before, you do it all. You play deep, you play in the box, you make tackles in the backfield, you cover tight ends. Just a phenomenal addition to this team. So to the game itself, what a crazy game. I mean, winning 22 nothing. I thought this was the kind of game where Burrow would be sitting by the fourth quarter. It just looked like they could do nothing to stop us. And then, you know, things turned around a little bit. And I'll tell you, I was getting mad. I, you know, I, I care about this so much, just like you guys do. I get a little tense when things aren't going our way. And in this game, when things were happening in the third and fourth quarter, honestly, I was going crazy. I was yelling. I was slamming things, and I've made a point to not hit inanimate objects anymore because, you know, you're just going to hurt your hands and it doesn't do anybody any good. But that did happen a couple times in the early fourth quarter of this game. All right, so let's start off with some headlines. So first off, let's talk about the Pro Bowl real quick because I know this is a very big topic. Joe Burrow, Pro Bowl, should have been the starter, but still very excited. This is going to be the first of many, many Pro Bowls for Joe Burrow. Jamar Chase, superstar, One of the top, I don't know, three to five receivers in the league, if not even higher than that. Excellent addition there. And, of course, Trey Hendrickson doesn't have the sack numbers from last year, but he's a disruptive force on every play that he's in there. So three guys that are very deserving of the Pro Bowl. All right, so let's talk about the Pro Bowl snubs, because as Cincinnati Bengals fans, we're kind of used to some of our our players not getting the recognition that they deserve. And the main one was DJ Reader. I mean, that man should be in the Pro Bowl. I mean, one of the best defensive tackles in the league. And you know what? I looked at who made it, and I understand what happened. If you don't watch a player every down, every week, every game, every play, you don't get a feel for how good they are. You know, a lot of times this Pro Bowl voting, you're basing it on statistics. And they put in Chris Jones. You know, he's a very good defensive tackle, but, you know, he's a guy that gets sack numbers. Quentin Williams, when I heard his name, I was like, oh, I know he's good, but come on, he's not better than Reader. But then I looked, and he's got, like, double-digit sacks. So, you know, that makes more of an impression than someone like Reader, who's eating up double teams and stopping every run. You know, that's not noticeable in the stat sheets, unfortunately, and that's the way it goes. And Jeffrey Simmons, you know, sometimes they just grandfather people in. He's having a good season, don't get me wrong. But if you look at the Pro Bowl this year, there's a lot of guys that are having good years, but they're kind of historically guys that seem to make it every year. And, you know, that's almost a case of Jamar Chase. Come on, you know how I feel about Chase. Really, one of the top receivers in the league. But if you just want to go on production this year, I think T. Higgins is having a better season. And I'm not, I'm not putting Bengal against Bengal. Come on, I love these guys. It doesn't matter to me. I want both of them to fly to the top of the league. But on a week-to-week basis, because Chase gets so much attention and he was banged up for a little bit, Higgins has had more production this season. So I think that he's a major snub. There's so many good receivers, it's hard to get two guys in from one team, and Chase has the bigger name. So, so you know, Pro Bowl, I, I just don't know. I don't put much faith in it, much stock in any of these accolades. You know what really matters is winning, and on a week-to-week basis, playing well consistently. And that's what DJ Reader does, and that's what Logan Wilson does, who also got snubbed. They put in Roquan Smith. Good season as well, but another guy, reputation more than actual production this season. Because I think Logan Wilson is playing as well as any inside linebacker in the league. And C.J. Mosley, everyone's so high on the Jets' defense. And, you know, we played him and we shredded him. And, 
I'm in the New York market, so that's all they talk about is, oh, this defense is, is a is a playoff caliber defense, deserve to go to the Super Bowl, and, the, you know, the, the quarterback's holding them back. I don't know. I mean, I'm just in it, so I see it, and I'm like, yeah, all right. The Bengals' defense is better than the Jets' defense, so enough about that already. So C.J. Mosley, good season, aggressive linebacker. Again, maybe made it more on reputation. I really think Logan Wilson should have made it as well. And then you go to corner, and Eli Apple's having a great year, but I don't think they would ever put him in the Pro Bowl. Again, reputation. Awuzie had a very good shot at making it this year before he got hurt. But they put in Marlon Humphrey, and that's another one. That's reputation. Because on a week-in, week-out basis, I mean, I don't see his every snap, but I've seen him get burnt a lot. And when we played him, he, he wasn't a major factor. Let's just, from this point on, just take the Pro Bowl with a grain of salt. It's a nice accolade for the guys who get it. And the guys who get snubbed, we can just laugh at it and say, yeah, you know what, whatever. It's like the gold glove in baseball, and I've made this reference in the past. I think I made it last year when there were Pro Bowl snubs. But in, in baseball, guys win gold gloves like six, seven years in a row just because they're known as, hey, he's a good defender. But yeah, sometimes maybe this other shortstop who's only a year or two in the league has a better year, but you're not going to supplant the guys that just seem to get it every year. So NFL, you're phoning it in. The Pro Bowl itself was one of the most boring games in history. I'll watch any NFL game anytime with full passion. And year after year, I miss the Pro Bowl. I don't care about it. There was one season I was actually down in Florida when it was going on, and I had a chance to go to the game, and I said, nah, I'm, I'm good. All right, that's enough about the Pro Bowl rant. But I want to move on to something, just one other thing NFL-wide that I wanted to talk about, and it's the NFL clock rules. I know this game pretty well, as, as most of you guys do out there as well, and I just don't understand the clock rules. Sometimes there's like a penalty, and I'm like, all right, well, the clock's not going to start until the next play, and then they start winding it. Or there's, you know, the, you go out of bounds early in the game before like the two-minute mark and they're, they're running the clock. I don't know. It's a very confusing system. I guess I should read up on the NFL clock rules because they seem to change all the time. And they're a mystery to me all the time. And I just don't understand them. And also, we wait all week for these games. Oh, beyond that, we wait through most of February, March, April, May, June, July, August. We wait all those months anticipating these NFL games, and we only get 17 of them, unless you make the playoffs, and you know the Bengals are due for 20-21 games this year, as we all know. But it's so important and so exciting. I think as fans, we want the games to go long. My myself, three hours is cool. Give me a five-hour game. It sounds crazy. I, I don't care. I could watch the Bengals. If, if the Bengals played an 11-hour game, I would be excited for the whole thing. And that's what I don't like. The, the refs are so willing to wind the clock on everything. I think the NFL should take a step back and say, you know what? People really cherish these games and love these games. Let's not wind the clock all the time. Let's have more stoppages just to make the games longer. Does that sound crazy? Maybe to the casual fan, it's like, no, you know, you want to keep the games concise and get everyone interested and don't lose people's attention. I don't care. The diehards like us let that game go on and on and on and on. There's sometimes where a guy goes out of bounds and they're winding the clock because, well, they stopped his momentum in bounds. Mr. Goodell, competition committee, whoever is listening or whoever can get word to these people, let's, let's bring it back a little bit. Let's stop the clock more often. Let's not wind the clock more often. Let's rework these NFL clock rules. So a penalty, the clock will never start until the next play. Out of bounds, the clock will never start until the next play. Not just inside of two minutes or four minutes. I don't even know the rules. But I want these games to go long. Again, we cherish these games. There's not many of them. We wait so long for this season. And then it just flies by. Here we are, right? Two games left already? So just a rant by me and a message for the NFL, and I hope you guys agree. If you don't, that's cool by me too, but I want these games to last because they're my favorite thing in the world to do. All right, so back to the Bengals. Seven wins in a row. It just doesn't end. It's like every week we expect to win. I don't even know what losing feels like right now, and I hope I don't know what losing feels like for the rest of the season. And if they keep playing like this, we're not going to see any losses and we have nine days rest before the next game. That works out so much to our advantage. Just having a Saturday game followed by a Monday night game, the biggest game of the season for us. Maybe one of the biggest games in the NFL this year. Bengals, Bills, you know, top seedings on the line kind of thing. Two teams that are just hard to beat by anybody, and now they're going head-to-head. -head. And I'm so glad it's in Cincinnati. We'll talk about that game in just a little bit. Playoff picture. So Bengals are the three seed. 
we need to beat the Bills and we pass them and now we're flirting with the one or two seed. We do need a Chiefs loss and that might not happen this season because based on their schedule. But you know what? Goes back to what I said before. I'll take the two seed. You know, that's a couple home playoff games and more Bengal games. I don't want to sit for a wild card weekend. It's more fun for me to watch the Bengals play. Is it more tense? Is it less of a chance to get to the Super Bowl because you have to win one additional game? Yeah, all that stuff is true. But give me Bengal games. Give me as many Bengal games as you can. I want to see a 20-game season. It'll never happen. But that's that's how much I love watching these games. It doesn't matter to me. Let's let's go in as a two-seed. So if we have to play your Buffaloes or whatever, it's going to be at home. And then if we ever have to go on the road, go on the road against Kansas City. We, we've shown what we can do there. Although, you know, three in a row against KC going to be tough getting four in a row but let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves you know right now the task at hand is beating buffalo and climbing up to that second seed and i'm not fearing these wild card teams i mean anything can happen in the playoffs but miami's faltering we're a better roster than the ravens the chargers bring them on bring on let the chargers come to cincinnati in january to play a playoff game and then we can totally squash the burrow herbert competition i mean even though like up the first couple of years, everyone was like, oh, I think Herbert's better than Burrow. We all know that Burrow was the better quarterback all along. Now the nation knows it. Like I said, it takes the nation and the national media a long time to catch up to what us Bengal fans already know. But bring them all on. I don't care who's, if the Jets want to squeak in, Patriots want to squeak in, all of them. We're a superior roster to all of these teams. And there's no one that I fear in the AFC, division winner or wild card. Coming into this game, I saw a stat that the Bengals have the fewest touchdown passes let up. That's a that's a major stat, and that says a lot about your defensive backfield, especially when your number one corner goes down and you can keep those stats up. And I think this team is better than the 21 team, and the 21 team was might be the best team in our history. I don't, I don't want to you know I don't want to diss on the Boomer Esiason Super Bowl year or the Ken Anderson Super Bowl year, and low key. A lot. This is before a lot of your guys' time, but that 82 Bengals team, the, the team after the Super Bowl year, they were so good. I mean, they were on top of the league, and then it was a strike-shortened season. Everything got messed up. They took a loss in the playoffs, and, you know, it went like that. But the 21 team, in my opinion, is the best Bengals team of all time, and I think the 22 team is better because we're not relying on the big play all the time. Now we're, we're just beating teams methodically, and, you know, we'll, we'll stop you consistently, and... We'll march down the field. It's not just like a, a couple long passes that change the course of a game. And, of course, we have the option to do that, and we have done that. But this team is just a little more complete than last year's team. And we're fighting through injuries and still playing well. I mean, 11 wins already, probably 12, 13 wins. That's a huge season. And then let's go to the major news of the week. It was Lyle Collins going down with a knee injury. I saw it. The play was over, too. And then he got rolled up on in the back of your leg. I'm surprised that doesn't happen more. There's just so much activity in those trenches. And unfortunately, he went out of the game. I don't know the extent of it. I'm recording this on Monday, so we'll know more as the week goes by. MRIs are going to happen, that whole thing. But Adeniji played well in his absence. I was worried when he came in, no lie. I still have that PTSD from the Super Bowl. He's a Bengal. I like him, but I still have this resentment for the Super Bowl on all of those offensive linemen, unfortunately. I got to get over it because I got to root for our guys. But it worries me when I see number 77 over there trying to block on the right side. But he did well this game. But again, now there's going to be film on him. If he has to start week after week, I'm going to be worried about it. And Peter Schrager, I just heard on Good Morning Football on NFL Network. And I like Schrager. He's a good football mind. He has a lot of nice things to say about the Bengals. He's just a very charismatic, great broadcaster. And he made a comment that they should bring back Andrew Whitworth. Imagine that right now. And that's he mentioned that's what the Rams did with Weddle last year. You know, they brought him back basically for the playoffs, and he contributed even in the Super Bowl. Can we get Andrew Whitworth off the couch? They said he's got one Amazon game left, and then he's free, and he wanted to spend more time with his family. He got to do that all season. You know, maybe you take one month and go with the Bengals and march to the Super Bowl. Just imagine Whitworth coming back if Collins is out for the year. Who would you rather have? Whitworth, who hasn't played all year, we don't know what kind of shape he's in. I'm sure he's in decent shape. He, he can't lose it that fast. Or Adenogy. You you guys decide. I'm not even going to say my opinion. Well, you guys know my opinion. But hey, Andrew Whitworth, if someone gets wind of this podcast to you, you got my vote. Come on back, man. You get another ring. You ride off into the sunset again. Easy money. And you don't have to do much. Just come in and, and do what you do. We'll, we'll throw you on the right-hand side. And I'm sure it'll be just fine. 
Remember a couple years back when they put Whitworth at guard? He was like all pro at guard for those couple games when they put him in there. So it's like this guy can do anything. And I think he's still got a little bit left in the tank. You know, this is probably just a pipe dream. I'm riding Peter Schrager's brainstorm and, and rolling with it. It probably will never happen. But just imagine. Week 16 review. Cincinnati Bengals, 22. New England Patriots, 18. All right, so let's go over some general observations from this win over the Patriots. It was cold. It was windy. No fun being in the Northeast, the upper Northeast. I'm in Jersey, and it gets cold over here. But you start flying up to New England and Maine and all those states, and it's it's like ski country, as we all know. Buffalo, you know, same thing. Up, That's upstate New York for you guys that don't know. I live closer to Manhattan, and they don't get nearly the same kind of weather that they do up there when you're getting near Canada. 17 degrees at game time. It said it felt like 3 degrees. Patriots got a little bit lucky, let's be honest. I mean, they had that pick six. I mean, that wasn't luck. That was a nice play. Takes it back all the way. Kind of luck that no one was able to tackle him before he got to the end zone. That's the way it goes. Those DBs are so quick. And then the ricochet touchdown. That was just like, come on. That's just, that's luck. That's just luck. And I mean, I I give the receiver credit for hustling downfield and trailing the play. Just like we saw a couple weeks back when there was a fumble in the end zone and the receiver recovered it. You know, good hustle by both of those guys. But overall, I mean, we, we methodically destroyed the Patriots in the first half, and they had a couple fluke big plays to kind of make it a close game, a little too close for comfort. But the thing I do want to say is we've prided ourselves on second-half adjustments all year, and I don't think there's been a team that has defeated us in second-half adjustments. But we have to pay homage to Bill Belichick. Think about it. Only guy this year who really beat us on second-half adjustments. After we went up 22 nothing, we didn't score the rest of the game. You know, they had a fairly long drive in the beginning of the third quarter. Then we had a fairly long drive that ended up in a turnover. So that kind of ate up the third quarter. But we couldn't do anything after those first 22 points. I give Bill Belichick credit. You know what it was? We came out of the gate with a game plan and took them by surprise. You know, that like I always make this reference. That's like getting into a fight and all of a sudden the guy's all over you before you realize it. And that's kind of what we did with the Patriots this game. And then Bill Belichick recollected. He probably had a a million different plans for variations on what was going on. And he did what the greatest head coach of all time would do and got his team right back in that game. So I give him credit, even though he's such a grumpy guy, man. And giving the officials a hard time. There was one call that went in his favor, and he's still dropping F-bombs on the official. I'm like, come on, man. Just coach your team. I'm I'm tired of all these guys hammering the officials. What good is it going to do? You're just taking out your frustrations. They're not going to change a call because you got mad or you cursed them out. But Belichick was all over him. And it's like, man, you're an icon. Show a little class. All right, so we scored on the first three drives, two touchdowns and a field goal. Like I said, we just came out strong. They did not have an answer to our initial game plan. And that's such a credit to Coach Callahan and Coach Taylor. And at halftime, we're sitting at 22 nothing. And Burrow's got like 250-plus yards. I'm like, man, he's going to throw for 500, and we're going to win like 45 to nothing. Didn't happen that way, but a win is a win. And it's unbelievable that this game came down to the last minute. It's just It looked like our game to take, and like I said, that's what a good coach will do. They, They climb back into the game. We made a magical play at the end because this is our season, and we weren't going to let a team that's going nowhere and flirting around 500 destroy our season. And... That just doesn't happen with this roster. We make the plays when they need to be made, and we have the most talented roster in the AFC. And I'm going to go over that when I talk about the Bills, because a lot of people are like, oh, the Bills have the most talented offensive unit in the AFC or the NFL. I'll go guy for guy, and you'll see that the Bengals are a more talented team. But I don't need to shout it from the rooftop. We know. They had Burrow under center more often than normal, and I think that was a case of going in and trying to give Bill Belichick a different look. You know, Belichick comes in thinking, all right, Burrow's going to be in the shotgun 95% of the time. We know where he's going to be. Let's game plan that way. And all of a sudden, you see Burrow taking snaps under center, and a lot of that was to set up play action, and a lot of that was to throw off what Belichick has been game planning for all week. So some of the important things, right before the half, we score a touchdown at the 16-second mark. And I always say that's the difference in a game. And look, we won by four points. That touchdown right there was the difference in the game. You have to score before the half. 
And if you get the ball out of the half, it's a good time to score there as well. Those are really key parts of the game. And you can look at most NFL games. And the difference at the end of the game is usually what happens in those last two minutes and that first drive of the third. We got lucky that Tyquan Thornton dropped that deep ball. So I'm, I'm saying the Patriots were lucky all game, right? But he was wide open. That would have been a game breaker. And they were the announcers were just talking about how they should get him a deep ball. Charles Davis, one of my favorites. And they got him it, and he couldn't pull it in. And that's, you know, that's what mediocre teams do. They don't make the crucial plays when you need to make it. You think Higgins is dropping that ball? You think Chase is dropping that ball? And then we had a couple chances to ice the game. Irwin had a phenomenal game. We'll talk about him in a little bit. But he did have that, I, I wouldn't call it a drop, but the non-catch on that. It would have been his third touchdown over the middle of the field. But hey, it happens. You're not going to make every play. He had a phenomenal game. So no arguments here. And then on the next play, McPherson misses the 43-yarder. So both of those plays had a chance to really put the game a little further out of reach. They didn't happen, but no matter, 22-18 is all that matters. On to the Patriots. I think that Bourne is a really good player. I think he played excellently. He high-pointed the ball. He got open. He made big plays when they needed to. But this is not a Patriots podcast, so that's enough about him. And Mac Jones, was that a fumble? Was it not? When it first happened, I was like, all right, they made the right call. It's not a fumble. But then you watch the replay, and he didn't have control over that ball. But again, I'm not one of those guys that's going to be crying over officials' calls and the what-ifs, what-ifs. You know, the game is won on a play-by-play basis, not, you know, on one call by a ref. I mean, some may argue with that, but I don't buy into that. And on that crazy ricochet, you know, that was Scotty Washington. And I don't know when they picked him up, but I'm wondering if he gave them some intel on the Bengals' offense as well, because he was with us for a couple seasons, and he was with us pretty late in this season. But, you know, we're a lot different offense from September to December, so I don't know how much that factored in. But, yeah, Scotty Washington was in on a huge play that almost could have turned our season a little bit around. It's just pretty crazy how these guys do this. It goes back to a couple years ago. Nick Vigil, one of the worst linebackers in Bengals history, yes, that is true. He gets a fumble recovery when he's playing for the Chargers against us. I'm like, all of a sudden we have, um, you know, Ray Lewis there at middle linebacker when he was just a, a, a turnstile when he played for us. And the Chase fumble, you think I was mad at Jamar Chase on that fumble? As, as crazy as I was getting during this game. No. I saw him on the sideline. I was like, don't you worry about it, my friend. You have contributed to so many wins. No matter what happens in this game, you're good by me. Even if we lose it, even if it... Now we're on the road for the first round of the playoffs. I will never be mad at Jamar Chase for a mistake because he has made a billion great plays and he's helped change this organization around. If we did not draft him last year, we would not have made the Super Bowl. So anyone out there who's mad at Jamar Chase, you got to stop. He's our guy and the good outweighs the bad. If you do 50 good things in your life and you make one mistake, I think that I think you're kind of justified as being a great Bengal. And then the game winds down. Patriots are driving for the first time, really. We can't stop them. The run game starts coming alive for them. The clock is just draining. We're out of timeouts. I'm getting that sick feeling in my stomach, just that slow death, like, oh, my God, here we go. And then they're at the six-yard line, and you know what I'm thinking? And I'm glad this didn't happen, but I'm like, let them score. Let them hop in the end zone and give Burrow a minute 10 to try to get us in field goal range, which you know we would do in a second. And I was really behind that. But I guess you can't always live by that mentality because if they would have let him score, who knows where the game would have went at that point. And, you know, Coach Anarumo just trusted in his defense and said, get a stop, make something happen. And we totally did. And one other thing coaching was, so on that last drive, we went three and out with three straight runs. And I know I get the mentality. You want to run out the clock. You want to drain their timeouts, that whole thing. But when it was third and nine, I'm like, we have the best quarterback in the league right now. Let him throw it. You do, Come on. Out, out, do you guys out there believe that Joe Burrow can complete a nine-yard pass pretty much at any given time? And the Patriots wouldn't have been expecting it. And I know that's counterintuitive. You don't want to leave them with a timeout on the table because now they can hit the middle of the field on one play. And, you know, that could be detrimental. And if, you, if they don't have any timeouts, they're kind of one-dimensional. They kind of have to go deep or go to the sidelines. I understand that whole mentality. But in that moment, I was like, you know what? Throw this on third and nine. We'll get it. And we didn't. And then we had a scare as they're driving down on the last drive. But this defense just holds up. So that's why I'm not a coach for the Bengals. Because I would have let them score. And I would have thrown on third and long late in the game. So just my opinions. 
again, they won the game. They certainly do not need my coaching advice. All right, on to my favorite topic, Joe Burrow. 40 completions, 375 yards, multiple touchdowns. It just never ends. The league has really woken up to Joe Burrow, and you're starting to hear the media talk about MVP. We know he's the MVP. Had a good shot at making it last year. They gave it to Aaron Rodgers, who was one and done. And you see Joe Burrow with with a compromised knee and no offensive line come within 30 seconds of winning the Super Bowl, but that, that wasn't enough. But then again, they vote on that before the Super Bowl. So whatever, but yes, MVP Joe Burrow, let's go. You know, you, you deserve it, man. Best quarterback on the best team, in my opinion. His throws were crisp. They were on time. They were on target. Even his incompletes were really good passes. A couple, couple he just like dropped in there that maybe got tapped away or weren't a completion. But I was like, everything this guy throws, like I saw, how many bad throws did he have in the game? One or two? And then the mechanics. That's how you play quarterback. So anyone out there who wants to learn how to play quarterback or, or who admires great quarterback play, just watch him. Watch the footwork. Watch the arm angle. Watch the follow through. I wish that right now we were all just hanging out and and watching a cut-up of Joe Burrow, and I could just be pointing out all the perfection in his throwing style and what he does. But really, next time you watch a game, just check out the mechanics. They're they're flawless. And then he was quoted as saying, I don't get fooled very often. I know the, the announcers made reference to that. And yeah, it's true. When you prepare and your mind works as quickly as his does on the football field... And you and you know you read defenses as well as he does. You're not going to get fooled very often, and he's not afraid to admit that. And they even said it didn't even come across as cocky. It just came across as like stating a fact. Then he had that nice quarterback sneak on the fourth and one, where you're expecting everyone to just punch up the middle, or you know, like the running back starts pushing from behind, so you get that one yard. Burrow sees something and decides, no, nah, I'm going to cut it to one of the outside gaps, and an easy first down and a pretty much pain-free one. He didn't get too pounded on that. Sometimes when you're in the middle of that pile and you have nose tackles and guards falling on you, you know, that's not fun. That's how Mahomes dislocated a kneecap, you know, two years back. And then last thing about Burrow, Tyler Boyd says he's never flustered. And that's the key. That's the key to be calm in crucial situations, to be calm when things aren't going your way, to be calm when all looks lost. And that's part of Joe Burrow's greatness. All right, so on to the INTs real quick. The first one, Boyd runs the in, and for some reason he stops. Burrow puts it on time, on target, and I don't know what happened with Boyd. We'll say miscommunication, mental block, whatever, interception on Joe Burrow, but that was not on Joe Burrow. And yes, I know, I'm a Joe Burrow apologist, right? Joe Burrow can do no wrong. Joe Burrow walks on water in Frank from the unofficial Bengals podcast eyes. Yes, I hear you, but really look at that play. I don't. That's not on Burrow. Then the second interception, and I'm going to sound like a broken record here with the apologist, but Ted Karras, who's playing phenomenally for us, a a massive asset to this team, he misses a blitzing DB. He goes over to help on a defensive lineman, and there's a fast safety coming right up the middle. So Joe releases it off his back foot. He can't follow through, and then it's a pick six. There was talk that he wasn't on the same page as Jamar. I I don't know. That play was just a disaster from the start. I'm not going to pin it on anyone. I'm not going to pin it on Karis, Burrow, or Chase. It happened. The guy runs it back. And the only thing I didn't like about that is Joe Burrow flying across the field and throwing his shoulder in there to try to make a tackle. Coach Pitcher, we got to coach that out of him. I know he's a warrior and he doesn't want to give up an inch, but imagine Joe Burrow separating his shoulder on that tackle. We'd be saying, all right, you know what? We're, we're, We're going home early January. So you have to think about self-preservation in that case. It's not worth it. Give him the pick six. Give him the pick six for a win rather than Joe Burrow make a crazy tackle and get hurt. All right, on to the sacks. There were only two, both on Jonah, unfortunately. But I still think he played a decent game, and he's been playing very well recently. And, you know, they have Judon and Uche, who are two of the top sackers in the league. So it makes sense. You're not going to defeat these guys on every play. You can't contain them. No one in the league has shown they can contain these guys on a play-to-play basis. So it's going to happen. First first sack. Jonah has Judon's outside move, but then Judon uses his inside move. Jonah can't keep up with him. Sack on Burrow. Next play, Uche, same move, only with more speed. It was like he kind of stepped outside Jonah a bit, and then he went inside. And Jonah was real flat-footed on that play. He'll watch the tape and realize what he did wrong. And again, it's hard to contain those two guys, but that's what happened on those two sacks. It was just Jonah getting beat with an initial outside move and then a quick inside move. 
and that's perfect learning material. You know, if you get beat on that twice in a row, you watch the tape and you figure out how to adjust to that for the next game. Then there was another sack almost right away, but then it was negated by a penalty, so we're not going to talk about that. So two sacks on Burrow, and that's been the MO for these last few games. One or two sacks a game, and that's why we've been unbeatable. I said that week one, week two. Just give them a little time to throw, and you're not going to lose. All right, so some quick offensive observations. Mixon looked quick. He's getting back to normal. He had almost 100 all-purpose yards, was, was there in the pass game, was there in the run game. Lowered his shoulder like we all know that he does. Makes those DBs not want to touch him. Always an asset in all aspects of the game. And really, in the receiving game, just so low-key underrated. And does he ever drop the ball? You know, I, there's, I think there was one incomplete to him, but I don't even think it was his fault. And P. Ryan, he gets his hands dirty. He does it all. I saw him, you know, he's in there running hard, catching balls out of the backfield, a special teams tackle, blocking on, on punts, just everything. Keep this man on the roster. Higgins, eight catches for 128 yards. Does what I say every week. He catches it with his hands. Watch the tape. All those catches, hands catches. Not waiting for it to come to your body, which, you know, can bounce off your shoulder pads or it gives the defender another split second to get in there because you're not extending for it. And he just catches everything with his hands. That is a lesson for all wide receivers. You want to learn how to play that position and not be a guy who drops balls all the time. You get those hands strong, and you get used to catching the ball, and you snatch the ball out of the air. That's how you play wide receiver. And the yards after catch for Higgins, you know, that that's a big stat too. He does it with his speed, and he also does it with his power. And we saw that at the goal line, how he forced himself in there, even though there were two guys out there trying to, trying to stop him from doing so. Trenton Irwin, I'm so glad that he's getting attention. And, and I'm not going to say, oh, I knew before, but really, when, when he was on the practice squad and in preseason – I've said it before, if you go back to the podcast, if you've listened, you've heard me say this, that every time he gets a chance to make a play, he comes through. And for a while, we didn't see that because he was either inactive or practice squad or whatnot. And he's made himself a lot of money these last few weeks, and it's well-deserved. He's a good guy, he works hard, he plays hard, and he's successful for us. And the team loves him. Burrow said he wants to see him around for the long term. All the guys on the team always run up to him when he scores, like almost more excited than they are for other people. So really good for Trenton Irwin and continue it, my friend. And Boyd playing through that tough injury to his finger. You know, the bone was sticking out and it's affecting his game a little bit. We're not seeing the same Tyler Boyd that we're used to, but in this game he had a couple catches for first downs and I'm sure as the season goes and he heals a little more, he'll be more productive in the playoffs and in that Super Bowl that we're going to be going to. And Wilcox was more involved in the passing game. I think he had four or five receptions, and that's got to be a career high for him. And with Hurst out, you know, they need to throw to the tight end occasionally, and they were doing that with Wilcox. And when Hurst comes back, this offense is going to be even more powerful. So I'm hoping that's more sooner than later. And I think tight end-wise, they tried to get Asiasi a couple catches as well because he used to play for New England, and, you know, I, I thought the coaching staff was trying to throw him a bone. Offensive line, interior of the line was playing outstanding. Collins was playing great before he went down. I I still think Jonah had a good game, even though he let up two sacks. Doesn't sound like a good game, but overall that offensive line is really coming together. And Max Sharping, you have two penalties coming off the bench, man. You can't do that. You know, you're fighting to stay on the roster. You're fighting for playing time. You can't get limited duty. I don't know how many snaps he got, maybe six in the whole game, and penalties on two of them. All right, on to the defense. The run defense continues to be outstanding. We held Stevenson to like 32 yards. Hendrickson playing with the broken wrist, and he had a productive game, but I would have sat him because we have a nine-day break coming up. You add in these six days, that could have been like over two weeks for him to heal up a little more rather than risk danger and risk losing him for the year if something bad happens. But, you know, nothing bad did happen. But as a coaching decision, I don't think I would have played him this week. And Camp Sample had his best game as a Bengal. And you saw the sacks. Zach Carter, I believe that was his first sack of the year. I believe that was Tupo's first sack. You know, correct me if I'm wrong. And I think Sample had one leading into this. But all three of those guys who rarely get sacks got them all in this game. So nice to see that the back end of the roster, you know, the, the defensive line backups are producing. And that's a winning formula for any team. Logan Wilson showing outstanding speed, toughness. And you know the big thing in his career, he's had a few injuries to his upper body, but nothing with those legs, and it shows. He is so fast, and I'm glad he stayed injury-free because his legs are a real asset to his game. 
what do I say about DJ Reader and BJ Hill? The same thing every week, just amazing. Top of the league defensive tackle play and a major, major reason why we control the clock and teams can't run on us. I think Eli Apple played another great game, playing physical. He had that interception, but he didn't come back to the ball. He kind of waited for it to come to him, and the receiver knocked it down. That's okay. How many passes did Eli Apple let up this game? I don't, I don't, I can't even recall one. And Cam Taylor Britt continuing to learn under fire, let up a touchdown, let up a couple plays. Not his best game, but you're not going to be perfect at DB. I, I still think he played well. Didn't let up a ton of catches. Had some hard hits and has proven to be a big asset to this team. Hilton continues to never miss a tackle. He's tackling running backs, tight ends, wide receivers, quarterbacks, whatever you throw at him. And I just can't believe that a man his size is that successful in the box week in and week out. We saw minimal Dax Hill in this game. I think I saw him on a couple special team snaps. I don't remember seeing him on the defensive side of the ball for any snaps this game. So again, I want to see him get a little more work if they're not going to re-sign Jesse Bates. And Jesse Bates made a couple nice plays this game in the backfield, in addition to all his downfield stuff. And then Von Bell, we talked about, he also had a nice pressure of Mac Jones when they were all the way backed up by their goal line, which was a big play in that game. And of course, he has the forced fumble. Phenomenal acquisition for this team. And if they're going to keep any safety, that's the guy you're going to want to keep. And Drew Crispin's playing well, too. I'd like to see a little more hang time, but I have no complaints about the way he's punting. He punts in a mile, and I just can't believe that no one claimed him last year. He was out on that waiver wire consistently, and there was 31 other teams that felt like they had a better punter than him. I don't know. I'm glad everyone slept on him, and I'm glad we brought him back. And I just want to draw attention to the coverage guys who don't get any credit. Obviously, Stanley Morgan's always in there, but Michael Thomas is always in on tackles. Travion had a tackle. Gaither's active. Johnston, Bocce, and Bailey, we have these all these fast backup linebackers that really make the special teams unit special. And Trey Flowers, P. Ryan making a tackle, just that whole group, I, I love them out there. It's it's Again, it's nice that you don't have to just rely on safeties and corners for their speed. When you have linebackers that are this quick and this productive, your special teams are pretty much ironclad, and that's what we've been seeing. Flowers missed a couple blocks in punt return. But not for lack of effort. You know, that's going to happen. But that's something that he's got to watch film on and clean up a little bit. Trent Taylor continues to be reliable catching the ball. Had a decent return in this game. So no complaints about him. And he's playing with that bad hamstring. And I don't know how you return punts with a bad hamstring. But credit to him. Again, I don't know if they shoot him up or it's the stim or all the therapy during the week. But he's been ready to go. And last special teams note, Evan McPherson, one of my favorite Bengals. Same thing with the Jamar Chase fumble. Don't get on Evan McPherson. Do you know how much he's done for us? I mean, he he basically put us in the playoffs last year and won playoff games and won multiple games last year. And if you look, Nick Folk was having a rough time kicking too, and he's a veteran kicker. He missed a couple extra points. The same thing was happening to McPherson, and I think it was all on one end of the field, if I'm not mistaken, or most of them were Folk and McPherson. So we move past it. He's going to be fine. You don't. You think he's worried? He's calm, cool, and collected, just like Joe Burrow. Again, he's the guy that knows how to slow down his heartbeat to relax in pressure situations. And as mad as anyone could be at him now for this week, what's going to happen in round two of the playoffs when he boots a 54-yarder to win the game? You know, just wait and see. Do not give up on Evan McPherson. He's a major talent, and he's going to be a Bengal for a decade. All right, let's move on to some key plays from this game. And I'm going to review the touchdowns, and I'm going to review the fumble at the end of the game. So in my opinion, I mean, there's many key plays in every game. But for the sake of, you know, keeping this fairly short and interesting, we're just going to go over four key plays. So the first one is the Higgins touchdown. We go out with three wide receivers. You have Higgins, Boyd, and Wilcox on the left. They run a combo route. And we've been doing this a lot, where you run trips to one side. And, you know, if you've ever called plays or played quarterback... Trips is such a valuable formation, and there's so many variations that you can do off of that. And this coaching staff is continuing to do these very clever variations. And what they do with this is, I I like the play design. They had Boyd and Higgins kind of run the pure route. Like, Boyd does the in, Higgins does the out. That's kind of where they were on the field. So what happens, Higgins gets wide open with the cut. It's a perfect pass by Burrow. It enables Higgins to go forward rather than backwards. Just the way that Joe Burrow threw it, like I said, he always protects his receiver, and he always gives him a chance to do something after the catch. And that was a case here. You know, Burrow could have thrown it and kind of led Higgins out of bounds and put him out at the one or two-yard line. But the fact that he kind of back-shouldered it and turned Higgins around, 
Higgins was able to power his way into the end zone. So perfect ball placement and an excellent catch and run after catch by Higgins. Second big play was the first Irwin touchdown. Well, we're getting used to that. Not just the Irwin touchdown, but the first one. Three wides and a tight end. And what they do, very simple. Four verticals. Just everyone runs straight. And Burrow gets to survey and hit the open guy. Hit the most open guy. And Irwin was the most open guy. And what happens, the corner releases him to McCourty, the safety. I think the corner should have stuck with him a little bit longer. And McCourty was a little bit late getting over to Irwin because he was worried about Jamar Chase. So that's how that play worked out. They released him, and the other guy was late. Chase makes an impression and an impact without even catching the ball in this case. And Irwin makes the great over-the-shoulder catch. It's contested. He hand fights to keep the ball over, you know, kind of a Pro Bowl level safety. Touchdown, Trenton Irwin. The third big play was Irwin's second touchdown. Now here's four wide receivers. So the first two touchdowns were three wides. This is four, and again, they go trips right. Irwin in the middle. Higgins comes underneath Irwin and takes two defenders with him, and Boyd does the in. Irwin does the out, wins his route, and Burrow puts it on target. And that goes back to Coach Taylor, Coach Callahan, Coach Pitcher, really creating great combinations off the trips formation. And really, it's my favorite passing formation. And as you saw here, it led to two touchdowns in this game and a lot of productivity in this game and up to this game in this season. Fourth big play was the Ramondre Stevenson fumble at the five-yard line when all looked lost. Who comes to the rescue? DJ Reader's the first guy to hit him. Whether it was a fumble or not, that play was was iced at the, at the line of scrimmage. And then you have everybody rallying to the ball. You have Sample in there. You have Bates in there. Logan Wilson. It was just a... They just ganged up on the ball carrier. And Von Bell comes in a little bit later, sees the ball hanging there, and just punches it out. And Hill digs it out of the pile. I don't know. They might have given the recovery to Tupo. Tough to tell with, with that sea of bodies on the ground there fighting for the ball. But huge play. And it was really set up by DJ Reader making the initial stop. You know, pounding through a double team and just nailing Ramondre Stevenson right at the line of scrimmage. And then Von Bell doing what Von Bell does and being a hero. All right, first drive of the second half, I always like to review that. And a lot of times I go into detail about the formation and every play. And sometimes I feel like it's a little bit long and a little bit confusing. Almost like when you bark out stats at people. After a while, you, you, you can't even take it all in. With that said, I'm not going to go crazy with the first drive of the second half. But they came out, ran Mixon a couple times, ran P. Ryan once, and had a couple short passes to Higgins and Chase. So what they were trying to do there was continue setting up the run game, drain the clock in a game that you're winning 22-0, and not do anything dangerous downfield. That's my opinion, what they were feeling at halftime. And then what happens, we had a third and one, and they actually stopped the quarterback sneak up the middle. So we took a delay penalty and punted the ball away. So that's how our first drive went. But I understand what they were trying to do on that drive coaching-wise, and I totally agree with it. That's exactly what you should do. Drain the clock, keep it safe when you have a 22-0 lead, and you'll, you'll pick your spots for big plays when they present themselves. All right, so that's it. We're showing that we can win anyway. We're showing that we can dominate teams. We're showing that even if we make some mistakes and let teams back in the game, that we have big-time playmakers that are going to make big-time plays. And here the Bengals sit at 11-4. and What an excellent and fun season this is and is going to be. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Bengals superfan Mark Walters. All right, so a story to tell you guys. I was watching the game the other week. This guy kept coming on the screen, and he was getting the crowd so pumped up. He was so riled up. Every time we saw him, we were excited, and they kept showing him on the broadcast, which I thought was really cool. So anyway, the game ends. We ride off into the sunset, another win for the Bengals. And then over the course of the week, a mutual friend, Casey Norris, he's a friend of mine on Instagram. He's been on the show a couple times. He said, hey, I, I know that guy that they kept showing on TV. He was getting everybody riled up. And he was like, his name is Mark Walters. He's a lifelong Cincinnati Bengals fan. And he's a really cool guy. So with that said, I'd like to introduce Mark Walters. Mark, how are you today? I'm doing good. What about you, Frank? I'm doing all right, man. And it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to be on this show and all that stuff. And, you know, my buddy, Case, I went to school with, you know, he um, messaged me about you. And I was like, hey, I'll be more welcome to be on the show and all that stuff. But, hey, how was your Christmas, by the way? 
I got to say it was pretty good. Spent time with family and friends, and it, it was it was definitely a good day. Made me smile. All, all was good on your end. Same here too. That's that's the whole point, you know. Spend time with your friends, family. You know, you know, you got kids, you got niece, nephews, you know, and all that stuff. That's 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 all what the holiday is about, you know. Just spend time with your loved one. Good point. It's not about the gifts. It's about the company that you keep, really. <laughs> exactly. All right, you know, so let's dive into some questions I have for you. So after this game, we're all seeing you on TV over and over. Obviously, the the network took a liking to you, as we all did. It was just so cool to see someone so fired up for the game. And you got shown on TV a few times. Everyone was getting pumped up. Has life changed at all for you since since this moment? Because it feels like you're a celebrity now. I mean, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I mean... It's it's amazing like how it is like you know, but it's awesome like you know that I'm getting noticed because like everybody knows me before like hey you that guy who did everybody pump and all that stuff and what's so awesome at the game if you ever go to the game every third down now the Bengals got me in, on the jumbo squad with my towel being all crazy scared by pump I've been doing that since you know I've been going to the game when I became a season ticket holder back in 2016 then like later on in the season like you know. Like, I was, I was like, hey, look, like, let's get people pump up because, you know, I want a statement to be the hardest place to play in. I want to be loud, be nauseous and all that stuff, make the other teams can't even talk to each other right beside you. A couple weeks ago on Monday, like, you know, I worked night shift and all that stuff, and I woke up, my phone was just blown up. I mean, I get notifications, but my phone was blown up. It's like, hey, everybody talking to you about Twitter, everybody talking about Instagram and all that stuff. It's just amazing, man. Everybody's, you know, I'm just getting friend requests. Everybody's, like, hey, keep up the good work. We love your energy, and it's so crazy that you know people in the past that I see at the game, they come, you know, appearing all that stuff on Facebook and all that stuff. I don't have a Twitter account, but I need to get a Twitter account because everybody's like looking for me. But I mean, it's been amazing. I mean, I mean, I'm still gonna be the same person still on that, but it's just awesome that I'm just getting just getting loved by a being of um, fans and all that stuff. I mean, all fans is great fans in the NFL, you know, all that stuff. And it's, it's just amazing. It's just, it's humble and it's speechless how all this has happened to me. Like, you know, I just, I went to the game that's like the team have a winning season, have a losing season. Cause I've been a Bingo fan since like the like early 90s, mid 90s, and all that stuff. And I see that the teams, you know, have that losing season. We all become the bunk holders. When Marv Lewis, Cost Palmer, Chad Johnson came out, and they just, you know, we make the playoff, you know, and all that stuff, have a winning season. Then when Andy Dalton, AJ Green, and Mark Jones, all them guys came around. So, like, you know, we went that five straight playoff game. We did not win one of them, you know, with the talent we got. But now with Joe Bud, Jamal Chase, T. Higgins, you know, the rest of the team, I mean, it just humble, like, you know, a team is, you know. And, you know, we made to the Super Bowl last year and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's not really changed that much, but now I'm becoming a public figure now. I'm like a spread. Everybody knew who I am now. Now, like, tailgates after the game, I'm just going to get mauled by people and say, hey, you know, we want to take a picture with you, you know. Yeah, and I, and I got to say it's well-deserved. You can, you know, what what was real about it is you could see it, it, was, it wasn't fake. You weren't acting. You were just... You were just genuinely pumped up and excited about this team. And it's so cool. I, I didn't realize they're playing you on the Jumbotron, and, and you're the perfect guy for that role. I can understand why people want to be taking pictures with you. Believe me, autographs are going to be next. But <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I mean, I mean I'd be more like I have my family member friends. Like, hey, can we get your autograph and all that stuff? And I just laugh at it. Like, even my friends, my co-worker. Well, you know my nickname is. They call the third down guy. So yeah, that's my new um, that's my new nickname. I'm born with it. I love it. I was gonna send you a, a picture. Of one of my friends from Scotland, they came over to the Kansas City game. Cause her husband was a Kansas City um, fan, uh, fan, and she was a Bingo fan. They met me the first time. You know, we've been Facebook friends for like a couple of years. Met them, great people, all that stuff. And she sent me a mail of a custom made jersey that her and her husband did and it say third down guy with the number three and, and i and i saw it i was about to cry it's like it's just amazing how they they like you know how much they appreciate it how much they love me and all that stuff and i told them hey thanks for the gift i love you guys and all that stuff. so i'm at the game next monday and they see me i uh, wearing that number three third down guy i mean that's them i'm gonna be wearing that jersey pod for the rest of the season until we get to the super bowl you know we make it to the super bowl and win this year too I'm with you on that, and I'm going to be looking out for you, and that's so cool that you're going to have a number three jersey. It makes total sense. 
because you're helping yes. the, you're helping this team on third down more than the average fan. So really cool stuff. And Mark, after this interview, you got to go and get yourself a Twitter because you're going to have thousands of followers as soon as you do that. Exactly. Yeah, that I need to do that as soon as possible and all that stuff. You know. I'm a, a threat now by, you know, trying to find me, so I need to make one soon. Positive, reach out to people and all that stuff. And yeah, and you know... Going to the game, game on Monday night, next Monday, I want to meet them. Like, I don't want them to meet me. I want to go meet them. I will go to them and find them. The great moments was last year, that playoff game against Las Vegas. That was, all the main, probably the best time, you know, best ever, you know, because we find, you know, we find both the because... Really, that's the whole thing got started, because... During the Las Vegas Raider, they put me on the drums from like six, eight, seven times and all that stuff. And I got people messing me with that. It's like, Taylor Ben put you on the on drums from waving talent and all that stuff. So, I mean, that was a great moment right there, you know. And like that playoff game was just amazing. Like, it was amazing to see us win and we made a run to the Super Bowl and all that stuff. Yeah, that was one of the biggest moments in, in Bengals history, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, where where are you sitting in the stadium? Like what what section? You know, it's hard to tell when they show you on on TV where exactly you are. Um, section one fifty six. It's the south end zone where the Bengals entrance of the player row four, and I said like the aisle seat and all that stuff. So yeah, that's what that's what I said. Yeah, people ever go to the game who's listened to? That's my section one one fifty six row four and all that stuff. So. Yeah, it's like I'm in Enzo seat. I love Enzo seats, you know. Everybody's like, "Oh, it's hard to see." Like, no, it's not. It's I love it, you know. Like, you know, and that's just a great view for me. And all that stuff. I can see the plays well and all that stuff. And like, you know, and it's and me sitting up so close, you know, they can see me on the jumbotron on TV and all that stuff, acting crazy, see my Hootay signs and all that stuff. So yeah, one fifty six at the game, vote for that's what I sit at and all that stuff. We'll expect a few more people to come up to you. And I hear you about the end zone. I mean, I would prefer to sit on the 50-yard line, but when you're in the end zone, you do see, like, the holes opening up and you see a lot of the stuff in the trenches that you might not see from the sides of the field. Another quick question. Who were some of your favorite all-time Bengals? All-time Bengals. My boy, Andy Dalton. I mean, you probably see the look. I got the look and everything. I mean, Andy is my all-time favorite player all-time. It's not just his on the field. It's off the field. He did so much stuff for Cincinnati, like, you know, did stuff for championship, for kids and all. I mean, Andy Dalton's my favorite player all-time. And I see Sam Hubbard is taking that void, you know, because Sam Hubbard, Cincinnati native, went to Cincinnati morning, played for Ohio State, now played for the Cincinnati Bengals. Probably the great thing Marvin Lewis ever did, you know, steal him the third-round pick was a great pickup. I mean, but, like, them, like Andy Dalton, my first guy, Everybody see me wearing the same Harvard jersey. He's my second all-time player. It just It's not them on the field performing. It's off the field what they do the great city of Cincinnati, you know. And, like, you know, my boy Andy, he's doing great things down the Saints. You know, I hope his careers keep on going long, you know, what's up. And Sam Hubbard, I am hope he stay for the Bengals till he, he retired from. Yeah, that's my two favorite players, Andy Dalton, Sam Hubbard. Yeah, and, you know, I, I got to say that shows a lot about your character that you – you care about how these guys are acting off the field in addition to just how good of players they are. And those are two very, very good human beings, so that makes total sense. Have, have any Bengals players reached out to you or acknowledged you, you know, based on this kind of newfound fame? Well, I saw a couple weeks ago, Sam Hubbard Foundation on Twitter say, hey, if I know this guy, have him reach out to us. So that, that couple months ago when my phone was blown up, one, I have a good friend. She worked for the Bingo. She's graphic designer. She texts me and say, "Hey, I need email as soon as possible." And at that, I was like, "And I was like, why?" And then I look it up, and I saw that Twitter, the Twitter saying um, Hubba Foundation want to get a hold of me. So I gave my email to her, and they got my email. I'm not hear back from them yet. Can they want to do something with me with the next home game? I'm hope I. Hear, hear them soon possible and all that stuff. I know the holiday came up, Chris, you know, Christmas came up, you know, they're, you know, they're probably busy, but hopefully I hear something early this week or midweek and all that stuff because they want to do something with this next home game Monday night or the last home game against Baltimore that day, that Sunday on January the 8th. So, I mean, I mean, not yet, but I'm, I'm hoping, I mean, that'd be great, don't get more, but at the same time, like, you know, it don't make a difference, like, if they do reach out to me or not, like, you know, but hey, I'm gonna still be. I'm still gonna be who I am. You know that stuff. It's not gonna change. You know, but that'd be awesome. Don't get me wrong. It'd be the great thing. Any other players reach out. 
Yeah, you know, I'm sure that they're going to reach out to you, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of other guys reaching out to you in the near future. And that's really cool that, you know, one of your favorite players is already trying to find you and, and do something with you. So, man, that, that is just really cool stuff. How you feeling about us going into the Bills game this week? It's a, a major game for us. Oh, dude, I, I mean, it's the, the level is going to be big. It's going that at the Bengals standing, it's going to be like a playoff ask me. It's going to be a playoff game because if Baltimore lose Sunday, and I'm, we're going to root for the Steelers, that's the only time we're going to cheer for the Steelers. If Baltimore lose and we and we we win Monday, we clinch the division. It's going to be a, it's going to be loud. It's gonna, I'm going to I'm going to put my energy next level. I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to go loud. Get everybody's pumped. My section get everybody pumped because you know they put me up third down. I'm just going to just wave my towel so hard. I mean, I mean, I might be exhausted because during that Kansas City game a couple weeks, couple Sunday ago, my whole body was literally hood. It's not was my arm, my short. It was my whole body. I was exhausted because that was a close, tight game. You know, I mean, the, like the last two plays of the drive. You know, with Joe Burrow. You know, I don't know what was Zach Tay calling in that play, but the next play we throw a, um, a 12, 13 yard pass to T Higgins. He caught that. Big time catch, get the first down in the game. I mean, I was, I was sad and all that, but like you know, like this upcoming Monday is going to be loud. We're going to be, I mean, it's it's going to be crazy. Like we want, I think we will beat Buffalo. I think Buffalo, they're a good team. Don't get me wrong. I have a friend who's a big time Buffalo fan, and he said the past couple of games they've not been looking good. Shots out and not been playing the best game. But let's hope that like. Or defense, they just routed him like that we've been doing the past quarterback. Go defense, been stepping up. We have, yeah, we do have injury and all that stuff, but we have, we have a lot of depth. We have guys who stepping up, making big time plays. You know, making big times up. It sucked that Colin is out for the rest of the year, but hey, you know what? We got plays linemen who've been that situation last year. Step up in the plate, you know, all that stuff, and we'll do good for us and all that stuff. Like, we will win Monday. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm guaranteed we will win Monday, and I think we will clinch the division, hopefully the Ravens lose. And like I said, we're going after that first seed, and I got to talk to my friends, because I tailgate with the Bingo Bomb Squad um, on Longwood Hall. We're going to tailgate very early and all that stuff, probably around 10 or noon and all that stuff. So we're going to be jack up, hype up, you know, give us get, get that, that, like, you know, give us, get ready for the game and all that stuff, and we get to the statement. Oh, it's going to be loud, not saying maybe over by Kentucky, like Newport, Covington, all them guys are going to be hearing us. I'm pretty excited. I'm so fired up. And like I say, anybody's going to the game, get ready, because I'm going I'm to make the um, the level of the energy go up so high, and we're going to get loud, and we're going to get obnoxious crazy and all that stuff. I love it, and no wonder why you're sore after these games. With the amount of energy and adrenaline you put out, it almost looks like you should be on the field playing the game, so... It's Mark, I want to tell you, it's it's been an honor talking to you. I'm very thankful for what you're doing because you're helping the team win. If the crowd goes crazy and there's a false start or miscommunication on the other team's offense, that's a major thing. And, you know, we saw it in Seattle for all those years, you know, with the what they call the 12th man. And you're starting to bring that 12th man to Cincinnati. And it's it's very much appreciated. And I want to thank you for coming on the show today. Hey, I appreciate Frank. You know, I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm humble. And like I said, you want to get a hold of me anytime, I'd be more welcome to come back on the show and all that stuff. And, you know, and let's get this win Monday night and let's go who day. And I want everybody, I want to say happy New Year's Eve and all that stuff. Have a safe one. Be smart out there. Make right decisions. And whoever listening who's going to the game on January 2nd, I want to meet you guys. Get a hold of me. I will make that Twitter account, but. Let's get that win next Monday. Let's beat Buffalo Bill and hopefully quench the AFC North that night. Week 17 preview. Cincinnati Bengals versus Buffalo Bills. All right, so let's move on to the Bills. They're 12-3. and three. They're a cold-weather team, so the Cincinnati weather is not going to be a factor to them. It's at home, which is good for us. And the Bills are not playing as well as they have in the beginning of the year. And I believe that's totally due to Josh Allen's elbow. And maybe the roster not being as complete as everyone thinks they are. But they still win games. So that's the sign of a great football team. They're not even playing their best. And they're still 12-3. and three. Sean McDermott's an excellent head coach. Ken Dorsey's a great offensive coordinator. And Leslie Frazier's a, a pretty good defensive coordinator. You know, he stayed around the league for decades. He was our defensive coordinator a couple years, well, many years back. 
where I didn't think he was that successful in that role. But, you know, a lot of time has passed since then, and he's been a part of a lot of good defenses. So great coaching staff. They're fourth in points scored and third in points allowed. So that's a team that's really getting it done on both sides of the ball. And, yeah, just talking about how I don't hammer people with stats, but let's let's just go over what they are rushing and passing. Offense, eighth rushing, seventh passing. So at the top of the league in offense both ways. Defense, they're fourth against the rush, 15th against the pass. And when we go over the roster, you're going to see why they're 15th against the pass. All right, so offensively, Josh Allen is a major weapon, one of the best arms in football, just got better and better year after year. Again, I think that elbow is still not right, and that's good for us in this game and, and moving forward. But he's so dangerous with his legs. You know, I, I bet on FanDuel a lot. Not, no crazy amounts of money, but just, you know, have a little bit of interest in, in games when the Bengals aren't playing. It just makes it fun for me. I'm sure a lot of you guys like that are, are like that out there. But every game that Josh Allen plays, I take the over on his rushing yards, and he seems to hit it. And sometimes it's like 40, 50 yards rushing. So we have to watch out. We have to figure out how to spy him properly. At least we have the speed and the size on defense to do that. And we have the experience against like your Lamar Jacksons. But Josh Allen's a little bit of a different animal because he runs with a lot more power than Jackson. So sometimes you might have a DB sizing him up and Allen bowls him over. But just a side note, you can't do that forever. You're going to see. Like all these running quarterbacks, it catches up with you eventually. And we're seeing that with Lamar Jackson right now. You know, a a great first few years of his career, and now last year he missed a bunch of time with an ankle injury. This year it's a knee injury. You just, you have to, as a quarterback, you have to win games with your arm. Your legs will last for a while, but not forever, and you're seeing that. So with Josh Allen, I do like him, but a lot of times I'm watching the game and I'm like, yeah, you know what, keep running him. You'll see. And, uh, you know, I don't want to see the guy get injured, but I certainly don't want to see him running all over the Bengals this week, and he is their most important player and their biggest weapon, and the Bill Belichick method that I always refer to, stop their best player and let the other players beat you. So this is going to be a game where you have to stop Josh Allen. Devin Singletary, great running back. James Cook, a rookie learning the ropes of the NFL. So, you know, a nice two-headed monster there that you have to worry about. Stephon Diggs, one of the best receivers in the league. Gabe Davis really coming on from the last half of last year through this year, becoming a star in this league. You know, that he's like their Higgins, their second receiver, who just can really own a game if you if you sleep on him. Isaiah McKenzie, productive in the slot. And then they have a couple veterans that you don't see much of. John Brown, they brought, they brought Cole Beasley back, a couple other guys. But really, it's Diggs and Davis that are the real main weapons. Dawson Knox is a very good tight end, and he's, you know, he's playing with his heart on his sleeve because his brother unfortunately passed away, so... You know, he has a little extra inspiration to play well this season, and he's a big threat. You know, you have to watch him. He's not a Kelsey. He's not an Andrews. But, he, you know, he's in that next tier where he could be a dangerous receiver if, if you sleep on him. And then offensive line, you go in thinking, like, Buffalo's so good in the trenches. And I really took a look at the, the offensive line, and the left tackle, Deion Dawkins, is playing well. The rest of them are kind of playing mediocre. You know, I know the center, Morse, is out, so they have Bates in there. Roger Saffold's a big name, but he's not playing well. Van Roten, the other guard, no, not that well. And Spencer Brown, filling in as well, is their worst offensive lineman. So there's a lot of vulnerability on that line. So we should be able to do a lot of damage. The interior with Reeder and Hill and Tupo and the whole crew. And then Hendrickson's going to be on their best player, but that never seems to affect Hendrickson. And then let's get that rotation going against Brown on the other side. Let's see, let him see some Osai, some Sample, who's coming off his best game, some Gunter, even push Zach Carter out there, whatever whatever you need to do. So let's really exploit that right tackle and get in Josh Allen's face and make him have to scramble out of the pocket and find a way to spy him and contain him. So really what you need to do, you contain Josh Allen, you make sure Diggs doesn't kill you, you trust that your run defense is going to stop Singletary and Cook, and you're not going to hold these guys to 13 points in this game. They're going to score, but you know you hope you can contain them enough in key situations and outscore them. On to defense. They have a very good defensive line. That's a big part of why their run defense is so good. Shaq Lawson, the first rounder from a couple years back, is actually not playing as well as the other guys on the line, but he's still a threat on every play. I love their interior with Ed Oliver and Jones in the middle, two players that are playing great. And Rousseau on the other side is probably their best defensive lineman at this point, another first rounder with a high pedigree. 
So you have to watch out for that group. They can really own a game, and they can get to the passer, and they can certainly stop the run. And they're a little bit of a different team with Von Miller and Boogie Basham injured. Those were two guys that were rotationally coming in and wreaking havoc off the edge, and they don't have that right now. And there's not a lot of – they're not really deep at edge rusher. So this is a game that if the offensive line continues what we've been doing, that we can provide some time for Burrow and do some damage. And a great linebacking core. Matt Milano is all over the field making big hits. I saw him pull down A.J. Dillon, who's a huge running back, and almost like take him out for the year by twisting his knee. Milano's a very, very good player. And Edmonds is also a great player, and he's playing great this year. Two linebackers that you have to worry about rushing the passer in coverage and stopping the run. And then their number three linebacker who comes in on base defense is A.J. Klein, and he's not having a good year at all. So that's someone that you want to be able to target. You're probably not going to see him covering people, but that's someone who you want to try to get an offensive lineman on the second level, knock him out of the way, you know, and watch mix and scramble for 19 yards. And then you go to the secondary, and this is why they're in kind of the middle of the pack. A couple injuries there, and you have Dane Jackson, a seventh-rounder on one side, not having a great year. You have Tredavious White, a very good corner on the other side, but coming off an injury and not quite back to form. They have Teron Johnson in the slot, who's probably playing better than all of them, but none of these guys are lighting it up this year, and Higgins, Boyd, and Chase have the individual matchups over all these guys. So you give Burrow a little bit of time, and you're going to see a 300-yard game out of Joe Burrow. They got Hamlin, the six-rounder, at safety, and he's replacing Micah Hyde, who was injured very early in the year. And so he's playing decently, but not what they had when they had Hyde and Poyer. You know, that was their Bell and Bates. So that partnership is not going on this year. But Poyer's playing great, and he's some someone that you have to worry about in the turnover game and coming up to stop the run. You know, you look at him, a very good defensive line, a very good linebacking core, secondary a little weak, but a couple good players. And that's why they're a very good team this year. You know, they're, they're pretty strong on all levels. This is a game where you pass the ball. You protect Joe Burrow. And you say, Josh Allen, you want to have a shootout? You want to you want to see who's the better quarterback? And you let Burrow do what he does. Big game for Chase and a big game for Higgins. Look out for it. Cincinnati Bengals 34, Buffalo Bills 31. Second seed, here we come. And you better look out, Kansas City Chiefs. AFC North Standings. The Cincinnati Bengals are 11-4 and, and in first place in the AFC North. They lead the second-place Ravens, who are 10-5, the third-place Steelers, who are 7-8, and, and the last-place Browns, who are 6-9. The Bengals are currently the third seed in the AFC. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a review of the Bills game and a preview of the upcoming game against the Baltimore Ravens. And we're also going to welcome in some special guests as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.